Welcome to another episode of the JMS Podcast. We got a great guest. It is Michael Gilkison. He is a stand-up comedian and a filmmaker. He's a he's working a couple film projects coming up. And he has his own podcast. It's called In the Galaxy Podcast. Check it out. They review a lot of uh, uh, music albums, mostly hip-hop. And they also have a lot of interesting interviews with musicians and with comedians and just interesting people who are in different fields. Worth checking out. Uh, he has an upcoming show on August 21st at JJ Blues. Uh, he'll mention more about it uh, in the podcast episode. And I got a show coming up. Not a comedy show, but I have a music show. It's my first ever uh, musical official performance. That's right. Jorge M. Sanchez and the Wandering Poets will be performing at Cafe Frascati August 8th at 8 p.m. It's in downtown San Jose. I'll play some tunes. And I got a lot of my friends and their bands. And it's going to be a great night. I got uh, bands of Les Amy, Clay Moon, Empire for Hire, and one of my favorites, Time Will Decide. And along with the music, we got some poets. We have Lawrence Demook and Angel Michelle. And really great poets. I'm excited. It's my first, you know, musical uh, production, I guess you can say. And uh, yeah, something to look out for. So remember, Saturday, August 8th, Cafe Frascati at 8 p.m. And did I mention it's a free show? Huh. Anyway, let's go to uh, Michael Gilkickson. And we touch a lot of interesting subjects. And, uh, and I feel I learned a lot from it, from this conversation. And I hope you guys learned something about it, too. For a reminder, please subscribe if you haven't already on SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher. Check out the Facebook page, JMS Podcast. If you ever wonder how these uh, guests that I bring in look like, I put pictures up there. And uh, also, if you want to send me any recommendations of anybody in the community that I should, uh, you know, contact and get them on the podcast can always contact me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Also, just let me know what you think about the podcast so far. You know, we're at the 22nd episode, and I think we're going pretty strong. Um, but then again, I don't know. You guys let me know. All right, let's get over to Michael. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Jorge. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, let's see. I want to start off where I first met you, because you made quite a, uh, an impression. Uh, I think it was at the Caravan downtown at an open mic, maybe. The first time I talked to you was at was the there. Caravan, but the first time I saw you was at the Improv. I went... Oh, uh, okay. I think it was... Um, was it... I went to go support a friend. Yeah. And you were in the lineup. Oh, okay. And then you came out, 
and uh, <laughs> I'm curious to hear what comes next. No, it was good. It was good. Yeah, but yeah. you had a lot of, for some reason, I find it interesting that you had a lot of hip hop references in, in your stand up uh, material. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a white boy. Yeah, definitely. Well, not just because you're a white boy, because, I mean, this is me being <laughs> borderline racist or borderline, you know, biased. Hey, man, I'm but, down but with you, brown. You, you had the this, this southern, southern, you know, sound to to your, you know, you have a bit of an accent, right? Or dialect. Um, A little bit. I did grow up in Kentucky, so I talk a lot about that. And, and definitely from having lived out here for a while, I noticed how segregated the Bay Area is. Segregated, like, really? Yeah. Like more segregated than Kentucky? Yeah, definitely. How so? Um, like, in the South, more people are down to just hang out together. Like, where I grew up, black people, Mexican people, that's about it. Not too many, uh, me- or not too many Asian. Jewish people. No or Jewish, no Asian. Few, few Asian, yeah, few Asian. Although some people, anybody that was Latino. How about Middle Easterns? Middle East, not so much. So pretty much bit. the big demographics were white, black, and Latinos. Yeah, mostly. And we we had a lot of... Uh, the Middle Eastern people would own horse farms because there was a lot of thoroughbred farms where I grew well, up. Well, like Middle Eastern horses? Like 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 Saudi Arabian... Like Saudi Arabian... Race horses? No, no, no. Oh. Like the, they own the farms. Saudi Arabians own the actual Those farm. sheiks, man. It's Those crazy, sheiks. man. Yeah, they got it's... a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Investing in Kentucky. You've got to for for uh, the horse farms, but yeah, I I played football and I I was friends with you know just a bunch of black people growing up, old old black people, you know older Mexicans and stuff working on a tobacco farm. So I was just more like hang out with anybody, but out here it seems like I got to go to Oakland to hang out with my black friends. I got to go to Fremont or San Jose to hang out with my Indian friends. I got to go to Campbell to be completely surrounded by white people. Right. Just always, uh-huh. and it's just in, in you know, of course, South San Jose for the Mexicans. So it seems like the, uh, give me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're implying that the communities here, like people live within their own communities and don't really go out with the others. Is that what you're saying? A, a little bit. I can definitely. Yeah, I guess segregation wasn't the best word for that. But yeah, just living within their own communities. I, I it fascinating because I was in Japantown today and I had a conversation oh, yeah, yeah. with a, with a woman that owns a shop there, and she and she brought up the subject about that, and she mm-hmm. says that a lot of immigrants that came here they couldn't speak English, yeah. so when you're in a, another country that you don't speak the language, but you got to find a way out because back then there yeah. was there was no you know government program to help out those mm-hmm. that were poor. So she said a lot of people got together uh, within their own commu- culture, right. And that's how they helped each other out. So I think that makes sense. I think in the Bay Area we still have reminiscence of that. We still have you know that, that Japan town. We got mm-hmm. that little Italy. We got that uh, East San Jose. I don't know San Jose, San Jose in general. But anyway, but that's fascinating. So you came from Kentucky. How was it? like born and raised? Born and raised. Yeah, I lived there until I was 22 years old. I graduated college at uh, Georgetown, not to be confused with the one in DC. But uh, yeah, I grew up. So there's two Georgetowns. There are two Georgetowns. The uh-huh. the one I'm talking about is the one where I went into a lot of debt going there to a private school. Oh yeah, yeah. School but debt. hey, hey, you know, it's I don't want to. What did God, you? Stu- I'm, I'm going down. What down did you study? I studied English, creative writing, okay. English major. So for since from a young age, you're very much interested in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, not just writing, but performing a lot. 
being interested in media, cameras. Like, how young were you when you're like, yeah, this is my thing? I knew when I was three years old, I wanted to be a movie star. <clears throat> Actually, when I was three years old, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. But I always knew that I wanted to be a movie star. I saw Richard Pryor with a microphone. My dad played him a lot. And I knew right then that I wanted to, you know, be in the movies somehow. But then later on, as I got to be like 18 and stuff, that was just the arts weren't encouraged because nobody like out here, you have people that encourage it. They're like, oh, yeah, my cousin's a screenwriter. Oh, yeah, he does. Oh, my my other guy's a key grip, this person. But there in Kentucky, people don't encourage the arts. It's about like basketball, sports, farming. And it's and it's not any anything against anybody. It's just being stuck within your own being stuck within limits of of your community. I guess was it a small town? Um, I Ver, Versailles, where I grew up, which if you're French, you would say Versailles, is outside of Lexington, about four hundred thousand people. So not small. Not small. But it's just if you wanted a job in media, you had to work for a news station, and that's about all there is. Right. Because I know there's some small towns in in the Midwest and in the South where sometimes the only way out is sports, right? And yeah. is, is that the case here? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, it's definitely a big part of it. You know, like the Friday Night Lights thing. Yeah, that's that's the biggest venue where you can perform. Man, is under the lights Friday night. The whole town goes and you do the football thing, and you perform there and. But, you know, I, I, I'm i making it sound like, you know, I'm playing a violin here of sadness. I could have been in the theater. I could have done theater, stuff like that. But you're more likely to be called, like, gay or something or a sissy or something like that. But maybe I was just listening to the wrong people. Mm. Like, you got into sports, you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I played football, basketball, baseball. I did track, I did swimming as a kid, I did soccer. I played like all the sports growing up. Just but secretly, all you wanted to do was perform. Yeah, man. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be doing, you know, be in movies. It wasn't until my media class in, uh, in high school where I got to actually produce films, edit. I learned Final Cut Pro off of, uh, it was a Mac, Mac G5. I learned Final Cut Pro in 2005. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to create. I learned about keyframing and stuff like that. It was just really cool. It was a collaborative environment. People worked together to create a product. Right. And we got to air it to the entire school. And I don't, I'm not afraid to say that I created like some of the dopest shit out there. Not afraid? What do you mean by that? Like, You're confident in your work. Uh, yeah, I am. It's that's another product of growing up in in the South for me is you have to be humble. Like if I said, I, I'm I do great work. I'm fucking awesome. That's like out here. That's cool. You're like okay. You're confident. But out there, it's like well, you're not too humble. You know, you gotta be a little bit more humble. Right. <laughs> if you know, if you're not humble, the Lord will humble you. So. <laughs> do, you, do you come that's from a, a religious background? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up uh, Catholic. But my dad was married before, so I was kind of like a, a bastard in a way. Oh, wow. In, in the church, at least. I mean, definitely my mom and dad are married and my parents and stuff. But, but yeah, I grew up Catholic. I was, I was into Christianity pretty hard for a while. Pretty hard? Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Like a choir boy, or what are you talking about here? Um, I was in a weird phase where, <laughs> where I was like, yeah, sex before marriage is bad. Blah, really? Blah, blah. Yeah. Were you a teenager? Uh, yeah, I was a teenager. I came to this conclusion on my own, man. See, I read, I read the Bible, I don't got think, into doctrine. Personally, I can't blame you too much because when you're in your teenage years, you don't know what the fuck. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. So you just assume it's about the the next person you find cool influences you. When you're te- when I was a teenager, I thought it was stupid ass shit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but were you those going around lecturing people about it? No, no, no. I wasn't evangelical about it. No. I was just very much like I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to live my life this way. I'm going to you know, I, I believed in you know the teachings of Jesus. You know, love one another, mm-hmm. love one another, people. Don't hate on somebody for being gay, and just find evidence to to live your life that way. So I, I never got too crazy. It was just the man. One guy got us into this. Is a story about um, my best friend since I was five. That's who I do the podcast with the the In the Galaxy podcast with my friend Jay Williams. So me and him were going through this thing, and um, I thought it was a bad idea at the time. This, this little right wing preacher guy was just like yeah sex before marriage is bad blah 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 so i got to this point where i quit masturbating for a while and like that's gotta drive you nuts oh man and you and you do it with friends i had you know two other friends it was a it was was a non-masturbation pact yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah we would do that wow and i'd be like oh man i i saw this girl today and we did we practiced this thing called bouncing our eyes which like if you see a nice ass or something you like you lock in and then you're just like okay i'm gonna keep stay locked in all right i wonder what color panties she's wearing Ooh, i wonder what would happen if she like popped it sat on a chair and like wiggled oh what if i was the chair your imagination runs wild but bouncing your eyes is seeing the nice ass and then looking somewhere else <laughs> just, dude, that just makes things more awkward that that drains the spank bank down and then you live a godly life and go to heaven that was the you know it's <laughs> that's yeah, uh, there's a lot of these sexual studies are fascinating. Masturbation, you know, in a lot of ways, it's you know, m- its function is more than just sexual. It's also mm-hmm. for uh, relie- relieving stress. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's also for it's like Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and pretty much, you know, the, the, this preconceived uh, notion of masturbation being. Uh, a sin it's like it just tells us you know how much we know about our bodies and and its functions you know because uh primates they masturbate you know again when when they're in a very stressful uh situation Mm -hmm. uh uh, humans especially during uh traumatic experiences that a spike in libido happens and you know Hmm. uh, i may be talking about my ass here but i'm pretty sure i read in some article where you know masturbation is both for females and males has, Allegedly, has has these th- therapeutic values. I, de- I I could see that for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's fast. I, you know, but that's a whole world I did not know about. It's where well, where people are like, nope, we're doing this together. We're not mass. You know, you know that kind of reminds account- me of it's an accountability group. Right. You, that reminds me of a. Uh, I heard a story of these. I think they made a movie out of this where these uh, group of gr- friends who were girls made a pact to get pregnant at the same time. Oh, I think I heard something. Yeah, about that. but in your case, it's. Not getting any, you know, I don't know. It's not masturbating, I guess. 
Yeah, well, that that whole thing comes from the verse, do not lust, the Ten Commandments, where it's just like, you, you've got a friend, you think your friend's wife is hot. You're not supposed to do that, man. That's your best friend, first of all, and that's his wife. Right, that's you common know. sense. Yeah, but, but this is an example where people took it way too far out of context. Yeah, true. But But yeah, before we move on, the, the funny part of this story was, um, I, I told my buddy Jay about this. And I was just like, man, I'm doing this. And we were, we were going strong for a while. And I made it, the longest I made it was six months. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, all right, years later, I found out that um, my other best friend was talking to Jay. All right. And he was like, Jay, you've got, you've got to tell Michael, man. You've, you've got to tell him this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> so Jay said, Yeah. So you remember, like, when we made that pact to not masturbate and stuff, and and I told you I wasn't doing it. Yeah, I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> lying out his ass, and I'm over here with blue balls, just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, from a young age, films played an important factor. It seems. Yes, absolutely. What were some of your inspirations in film? Um, I mean, I just remember watching a lot of HBO and Cinemax with my dad. I remember watching Full Metal Jacket when I was five years old. That kind of stuck with me. Even the scene where he does the shotgun type thing. Yeah. I remember watching that. I was actually a huge Rodney Dangerfield fan. I watched the movie Ladybugs a lot as a kid. Were you into stand-up? Um, I didn't watch his stand-up so much, but I did watch, you know, like, Back to School, this and that. Um, no, but I'm not too much of his stand-up. I'd watch, um, a lot of comedians' movies, like the Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, stuff like that. Uh, watched pretty much, jeez, that's a hard question, man. I used to have a shelf full of movies that I would organize in, like, popularity. So I, I just, I'll rattle some off. I had Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison... I had Cuffs with Christian Slater. That was a good movie. Um, Jeez, everything, man. Like, now I'm not afraid to admit it. I liked the cheesy teenage romantic comedy movies like Can't Hardly Wait with Ethan Embry and stuff. Mm -hmm. I liked uh, She's All That. That was a good movie. That's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't be ashamed. The 90s had uh, these... They're not so bad as people perceive. Mm -hmm. Maybe for nostalgic reasons. Maybe they're not so bad to me. Mm-hmm. But not that. So, uh, at what point did you get to stand up then? Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, how did I get into stand up? Yeah, because it seems you went headfirst for film because that's your first passion, I assume. Mm-hmm. And did you go into stand up to make it like Roger Dangerfield or, or Adam Sandler, where they get into film by stand up? Yeah, I guess I did that. Um, well, let me ask you this then. I could tell you how I got there, but. Okay. Yeah, what, yeah. What, when did you first start doing stand-up? I first started doing stand-up in... I got on stage for the first time in uh, 2012 when I was living in Australia. Wow. Where at? Perth? Brisbane? Uh, it was in Brisbane, yeah. Brisbane. Props for pronouncing it right. Oh, yeah? Most gringos say Brisbane. Mm. <laughs> I'm just like, come on, guys. It's not Australia. It's Australia. That's great because Australia yeah. has a pretty big stand-up comedy scene. Oh yeah, man! Mel- Melbourne, Sydney, even Brisbane's kind of small, but it's it's there. It exists. 
So how did that come to be? Were you like, one day I'm just going to do stand-up? Or... Yeah, well, I'd always wanted to do it. Um, I So we talked about the whole having sex thing and stuff before marriage being bad. So I got married when I was 22. <laughs> did you? Huh. Yeah, yeah. High school sweetheart? Uh, college. College, college yeah, yeah. So we, we decided to... She wanted to live in Australia for a while. I wanted to move straight to Los Angeles. And... We decided to do her thing first. The things we do for love, man. Yeah, exactly. The fucking things we do. Exactly. I, I was I was in a similar situation like that, but nowhere as a, as as you know going to another country. But I get you. She was like, "Yeah, let's do that," and I was like, "Okay, that sounds dope." What does she do? Um, I I don't know what she does now. No, back at the time. At the time, um, an admissions counselor. Also, she was also religious. An admissions counselor? Oh, I think admissions. Oh, submit. <laughs> I think like, like she was a missionary or something. Oh, uh, admissions counselor. Okay. Yeah, it's it's. I got out of that crazy thing because she went from being a. She actually was very religious. She went from being a devout right wing Christian to a devout left wing atheist. Is that what Australia does to a person? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. There's, there's, pro- there's probably other issues there. And I don't want to talk bad about her. You know, okay. But, but she's she, a good she, person. she decided to go to Australia and you went with Allegedly. her. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, went, yeah. You went yeah, with her. Yeah, we went with her. We went together. And I, was, I, I wanted to go to Los Angeles to begin with. And then when we came back to the U.S., we moved to Los Angeles. And then that's when she decided to uh, have an open marriage. After cheating on me. Ouch. Yeah. But hey, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, for somebody to get to a point for a relationship to be that bad, I'm sure. Was it long distance? Because you were in LA and she was in Australia? Oh, no, no. No, we were in Australia together. Uh And then we moved to LA together. And then at that point, um, it, it just got bad. It got to the point like where it's like, hey, I cheated on you and I'm not sorry for it. And I want to have an open marriage. And my only friend in the state was so in San Jose. She, so and that's what brought me up here to San Jose. She still wanted to be with. No, she still wa- wanted to be married. Yes, to me. She was just more into open marriage now. Yeah, she was wanting to let other dudes hit it. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and pretty that, dark shit. And and well, I think this is where we're getting at is after that. Is that why you got to stand up to comedy? Is that where you turned to comedy? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I moved up here to San Jose. I was kind of stuck here in a way, I thought, but which is really a good situation. But yeah, that's when I started doing comedy. I started looking up open mics, getting on stage. Uh, did my first mic at Woodham's Lounge. Just got the craft down. And then I met a guy and he's like, man, you need to go to, to Redwood City and get to know Paul Brumbaugh. And I did, and I did the mics there, Sodini's, when I was going on, and um, the underground comedy up there, and, you know, then it just kind of went from there. And you said you, you first did stand-up in Australia, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I meant when I was doing it, like, regularly, like, hitting it every week. Okay, but the first time you went to an open mic was in Australia. Yeah, that's when I got my cherry popped. How was my that? comedy cherry popped. It was, it was good. It was good. Um... I rehearsed it a lot. I had it memorized. I had my jokes down. The the Australians, I got a huge applause afterward. And um, I remember the lady that was hosting, she's a comedian from Melbourne. Super nice. Super nice lady. And she's like, she's like, oh, do you want me to uh, 
tell them it's your first time before you go up? I'm like, no, 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 I'd rather not. I'd just rather go into my bit, be like everybody else. She's like, all right, I tell you what, if you do a good job, then I'll tell everybody it was your first time. I was like, okay, fair enough. So I got off the stage and I did my type five that I had practiced 30 times uh-huh. for my five minutes. Did it and um, came off the stage. She's like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Michael Gelkison, yeah. And this is his first time doing stand-up comedy, yeah. And the Australians, man, they're super supportive. Love Australians. They're so fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it was you, a good experience. Okay, so you, you popped your chair at a very good uh, yeah. room. Yeah. And then, and then you came to, to the U.S., you went through your shit, and then you started doing comedy on a regular basis. Yeah, actually, I went to the the Hollywood Improv on Melrose when I was living there. But I didn't have enough time to really do anything. Kind of when you're <laughs> when you just moved across the country and then you're I don't know, man. My life was pretty crazy. But when you have a lot of personal shit going on, it's tough. Yeah. So but yeah, I turned to comedy and I turned to my podcast. Um, my best friend Jay, since I was five, he was actually going through the same shit at home mm. at the time. He was going through a divorce as well. There you go, kids. If you're if you're a teenager at this point and you're thinking about not jacking off, just throw that idea out, guys. Please throw it out. Well, it's and then we started getting married at a young age. I think I think early twenties not really the best time to get married. Would you agree with that? Man, that's that's actually an interesting debate. I think I think I was ready at the time, but the other person wasn't ready. You know, it's two people. Because here's the way I look at it. Yeah, especially when you're late teenagers and 20 you so again you don't know who the fuck you are you don't really know true who, that's a good point you don't really know you know authentically as a person you know you, you still you're still experimenting with the walls you're still mm-hmm. experimenting with with your own limits and and whether it's moral or wh- whether it's behavior yeah. and I, I mean being marriage is not just about being with somebody it's about being with somebody and having like a whole bunch of compatibility legal shit involved yes. you know the, the the certificates and the, the lawyers and mm-hmm. so the what I'm going at the way I look at things is like wait till you're like 25 maybe I think I think it's like the minimum because at least at that point you know how much of a person you are whether you're you you'd be like hey I'm, I'm, I'm this who I am and take it or leave it just the way I look at it, but no, know. that's then again, I've never been married at a young age. So there, there's what the fuck some, do I know, right? There's some science behind that. For females, you don't want to marry a female that is younger than 25 because the female brain is still developing. I think this, I think all brains are still developing, not just females. Well, no, no, this is especially it's, it's, true with females. Their brain is still developing. And and the their decision making is different before they're twenty five versus after twenty five. Well, on that note, we know that the female brain develops much faster than the male. Well, um, right. That's I don't know if that's true with the brain, but the female body definitely develops quicker. Females emotionally develop quicker. They're definitely able. They're definitely more emotionally mature at the age of thirteen than a 13 year old boy like that's true but I don't know about the brain well when you say the brain what do you mean I mean like the literal brain the mind yeah whatever you want to call it like the gray matter that's in your head okay like frontal lobe Hmm. left side of the brain right side of the brain 
that type of stuff. I and I'm just saying this because my my therapist told me this, as in a therapist that I went to once in Santa Cruz. <laughs> lives in the hills. I find that pretty funny. I don't know why Santa Cruz therapist. Oh my god! I can only imagine, dude. I got I got through my divorce by just going to bars and getting fucking shit face drunk and just talking to people and entertaining them, and just I I got crazy stories from that. But that that's how I got through it. That's one of them. Big bar tab. What's one of them? Um, tell me about Santa Cruz. What the the therapy session yeah. Santa Cruz? Yeah. Um, I basically found out about this therapist because I grew up in the South and I'm afraid to like go to therapy. I'm like, well, that's stupid. That's dumb. But I just got to a point where I met this dude at a bar. He's a cool guy. He's older than me. He's like 50 and he was going through a divorce too. So he was able to like coach me through shit, but we we're going through the same experience at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, man, you know, like you need to see my therapist, blah, blah. And she charges 200 bucks. It's a one-time session. And if you need to call her any time after that for any questions, you can call her. But nine times out of ten, she f- fixes all your problems and she tells you what to do. Her being a female bothered you a bit, maybe? No. No? Okay. No, she's the one that I just figured being divorced and... Oh, no, and I didn't. Trust me. <laughs> okay. Trust me. A lot of females help me... Help me recuperate <laughs> okay. to restore my trust. Not a lot, but I don't know. I, I, Jesus, but but, seems, but it seems like Jesus. you learned a lot from this uh, experience. Oh yeah, you do learn a lot, especially when it comes to lot. relationships. Do, do you feel like this helped you in your future relationships? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. My my girlfriend now. I've been with her over a year, and it's just it's a completely different experience. We're compatible. She's amazing, and it's. Part of it is just, I think, with my first one was picking a bad partner. Because, right, you don't know yourself. So, since you don't know yourself, you don't know what to pick in somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the therapist lady helped me with. Uh, first of all, she pulled some, like, ninja tricks. I literally talked to her for three minutes. And at the end of the three minutes, she's just writing stuff down. And she goes, you know, your problem is you're afraid of dying. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, what? Because I was saying all this bullshit. I was like, man, fuck a retirement account. That shit's stupid. It's like, I'm just, you know, like nothing happens when you die. I'm just I, I, I gonna think most of us are afraid every of night. Yeah, but that was, that was affecting my views on relationships because I was just ah. like, I was just like, oh, all, all we have is the present. I have to rush. And she's like, no, you need to look forward to aging. You need to look forward to being 80, you know? She's like, I'm 70-something. It's fucking awesome. She's like, my my 70s were better than my 60s. My 60s were better than my 50s. 50s better than 40s, you know? And I was just like, wow, shit, you're right. And now I work out every day with my with my buddy Adam. He is 42 years old, and he looks like he's he's 23, Wow. And and you know like granted he is age Asian and they age very well but still he took <laughs> care of himself they do age gracefully yeah definitely so it's just changed I've grown as a person so she so. she said that you were too much in the now mm-hmm. and you you got to look forward to growth yeah yeah I look okay. forward to being old because what I was doing man and, I was, and how does how does that tie into relationships though is, is that is that is that do you feel like you rush 
a relationship? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Because okay. if you're, you know, like at the time I was like 26 and I'm just like, man, I just want something right now. And I, you know, and, but if I take my time, see, I got to a point where I took my time. I'm like, wait, I'm, I just turned 27. I'm going to wait a while. I got a good 10 years to find somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with. You know, like I want to have, I I told her, I was like, I want to have kids in my thirties, be established in my career and then forties, fifties, keep building that stuff. Yeah. I feel like when you get older, relationships do get easier because I think there's less bullshit to deal with. I feel, again, you're at that point where you know who you are, that other person knows who they are. And at that point, I'm sure you're both busy with your own ambitions. Right, because when you're at twenty, twenty, like you still don't know what the fuck you want to do. Right, right, and even if you do know, like you don't know how it's gonna pan out. Mm-hmm. But when you're already like in the late twenties, thirties, you already have a good idea. All right, this is what I'm gonna fucking do. You come with me for the ride. I love if you're with me in the ride, but you know, I think that there's a lot of bullshit that's cut mm-hmm. relationship wise. Well, and and the therapist was very clear with me. She said, "Do you want to get married again? Do you want kids?" And my answer was, yes, I do want to get married again. Yes, I do want to have kids. Okay, well, when do you want to have kids? And that's what I looked for when I started dating. Um, it was... Oh, so you looked not, not just for a partner, but you looked for somebody who also wants kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's that's a goal in my life, to have kids. So now, when I, when I started dating then, after that point, I started asking girls. I'd be like, I'd just casually slip it in. On the first in. date? I hope not. Yeah, I oh, did actually. Shit. How did that go? I did, yeah. Well, my my girlfriend now, we just got to talking and stuff, and we were able to converse a lot. And I asked her on the first date, I was like, hey, you know, do you want kids one day? I just tried to slip it in. And she said, yeah, she did. Yeah. And if she said no, though, I would have dumped her. I would have dumped her. I wouldn't have went on a second date. You know what, dude? God bless you, dude. Because I'm like, I don't know. I'm at the opposite right now. Right now, marriage... Is totally out of the picture. Mm-hmm. I want to say totally, but like not in the radar. And children just scares the shit out of me having some. So I don't know. So good luck with everything. <laughs> you, well, hey man, you're like, looking forward to it. I'm not. You know, it's it's really just about your goals though and the life you want to live. Not everybody wants to have kids. I'm not saying that that's right for everybody. Right. But I'm saying like... Some people shouldn't have kids if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. But like if you don't, if you just know you're like, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to get married. I want to go full steam into my career. Man, like people do that. You know, like I know professors, college professors that are just fucking hardcore into their research. And that's all they do. See, I believe they in, don't have any kids. I believe in moder- that's cool. I believe in moderation, though. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you shouldn't be leaning on either side. I right. do. I, I mean, again, I, right now I'm saying I don't want marriage or kids, but I'm not gonna completely limit yourself. Lim- yeah, exactly. And I think uh, it's some. I think that's the best way to approach things. It's like, hey, you know, right now I'm not digging it, but we'll see in five years if I find someone truly special and yeah, maybe right she'll person. convince me or whatever. And that's, that's something that the therapist convinced me of. She was like, you know, she's like, well, you do want, you do want kids one day. So you need to start looking for somebody that doesn't have a banging body, a nice ass or this or that. She's like, that stuff goes away. You need to look for a good mother. Yeah. Not to say that my girlfriend is not smoking hot. She fucking is smoking hot, (laughs) but still, 
you you know it changes your mindset. You know what's a big turn on for me? What's that? It's a woman that's working her ass off. Like not much off like physically. I'm talking about like I find it attractive when I I know somebody that's like she's just working her her with her career or anything. But I find that super attractive, where it's like somebody that dedicates most of her time to something that she loves or yes. something like that. It's like wow. Like I find that inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's like. You know, a gal who has two jobs, barely making rent, but she's working her ass off to to, oh, yeah. to work. It's like I find that attractive. It is attractive. I think it's attractive too. My my lady is going to an Oscar De La Renta fashion event up in Tahoe this weekend. Is she a fashion designer? She is a she's in public relations. Ah, PR. But she is just absolutely killing it. First of all, I don't. I, I can't name an hour of the day that she is not working. And this is from 6 a.m. to like 9 p.m. And like sometimes she just doesn't eat. She just works right through it. And I'm just like, man, I admire that. Because she inspires me. She inspires me to be better. Mm. And I love that too. I love that motivation. And, and, and the minute you realize that and, mm-hmm. you, and you do your shit, she'll see it too. She'll see that, hey, he's working as much as I am and support each other. Yeah, I mean that's really what it's about. If you're, then you know, if you want, I hate to keep referring back to the therapist, <laughs> but I mean, really though, I, I you, recently got into a, a therapist, and oh great, because I, I also came from a background where I was like therapy, you know, exactly, was, me too. Uh, but I went through a traumatic, a traumatic experience. You know, I saw someone die in front of me. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, shit. Was this recently? Uh, yeah, fairly. And a <laughs> year ago, oh, not three even. months ago. About three months ago, shit, or so. But like, like for the f- first week, like you're cool because you're in shock. Yes. Second week, it's like it just it hits you hard, like oh my super God. hard. And like for weeks, and, and you know, and people were telling me go to therapist. Go there. I was like, I, you know, I never been therapy, and I don't like the idea of somebody me paying either. someone to give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's know? really. I used to think therapy was what people did that didn't have friends. Right, and, and, and but it's it, not. That. And then my family is not really big on therapy. Not mm-hmm. nothing against it. Just right. it, it, for, it's just not a norm, you know. But ever since I went, it's helped a lot. Like I it was. Like, don't get me wrong. The first session was, in my opinion, I was being an asshole. <laughs> I was. First session. What'd you do? I was just, you know, questioning her profession. I was just, <laughs> dude, like, 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 like you, you, you went about, you know, fuck this, fuck that. I was yeah, similar. Yeah. I was like, you know. Uh, and then second session, like, w- once I got all that shit out of my system and I just let her do work and mm-hmm. it, it, it's helping me. It, it, it's helped me a lot. Yeah. And in a lot of ways... I feel like those born, you know, those born again Christians where they, like, they weren't Christian but now they are. So then now, now they're like, you know, <laughs> telling everybody they're so, excited. Yeah. Right. So now I'm like, hey, you know, a therapist. It's just like health is a big factor, like staying in shape. Yeah. I think a therapist is good to stay mentally in shape. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think it's a little. In my case, it's a little sad that it took someone to die to for me to get to that point. And I think I think to other people it took yeah. it, it took it took a, a heartbreak to get to that point to to actually seek help mentally and and, and people will have this this connotation about it but yeah but once you're in it it's like it's it's not what I thought yeah I mean it's definitely like a guy said it's like pimping your brain you know that TV show on MTV 
it's like pimp my ride right where they where they make your car really cool and they base it around your personality or whatever which i found out that it was completely fake or stage or whatever that's all story. all reality tv shows are yeah staged. yeah but i mean that's what it does to your brain it just because see for me i wasn't dealing with my shit i was just going to the bar fucking getting sauced up running my mouth getting it out feeling better actually talking to people yeah. I mean, you which can, is really good. Yeah, I mean, and it's good to say how you feel to somebody. It's 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 okay to say that you're sad or you're depressed or whatnot. But for me, I just masked it. I was really good at masking it. You know, I would uh, get dressed up. You know, shave nice, short hair. People were like, "Oh yeah, that's a fine-looking young man. That's, he's sharp, clean-cut, and he's doing and, good." And you're just fucking dying inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then after that, I was just like, um, you just learn other shit too. Like while we're at it, something else, two other things helped me grow. And that was going, going to jail for the first time. How that happened? And my acid trip. <laughs> How did you go to jail? Um, I was out at Santana Row, which is like a little fake shallow place where people go. It's the most European place in San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> Not, not to say that Europeans are fake and shallow, but no, no, but, but most of them are. Anyway, go ahead. But, but a lot of gold digger ladies go there too, so that was within walking distance to my place. So I would pregame a lot, um, and then go out to Santana Row. So I had saw some of my friends, and I say friends because of that time, I just went to bars by myself. I called them solo jumps because mm-hmm. they're the best. They're the best way to meet new people. Because what happens is, you know, like, I, I remember I tried to talk to a guy once, and he was like, leave me alone, you fag. And I was just like, dude, what Whoa. the fuck, man? <laughs> I'm just wanting to talk. But then I talked to this, you know, these other people, this girl, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm from Iran, and, and this is my cousin. But And they introduced everybody. They took me in. They had lived, you know, her fiancé had lived in Australia, and she, you know, I, I hit on her and then she introduced me to her fiance Whoa. and then I chopped it up with her fiance. Nice. So, so I saw them, I went to Santana row. I saw them just random. I had a friend, I had a friend coming up from LA to visit me that I knew in Kentucky from college. So it was a big weekend for me. I was all turned up. So I was, I saw them there and they were like, Oh yeah, we're in the VIP section. I'm like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, man, just help yourself with drinks. And so I was. I was helping myself. I was drinking and this and that. So then they close the bar. It's closing time. And I've got my drink. And they're like, all right, it's time to go. I'm like, yeah, I got one more drink to finish. And they're like, no, no, get out. And then before I knew it, I had my I had my drink in my right hand. Then my arms collapsed. I felt somebody grab me from behind. And then before I knew it, I was being picked up like a child. And thrown outside, just like they threw me outside. Now, I'm a happy drunk. Always have been. Always will be. But when you put your hands on me, I just lose it. So at that point, I was like, fuck you, you fucking asshole. Why did you put my hands on me? I bought this drink. You not letting me finish it? Why would you sell me a drink? And then there were cops waiting right outside. So they just cuffed me and like slammed me against the wall and put me in handcuffs and they're like we're gonna need you to take a breathalyzer and I was like I'm not taking one I know my rights blah 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 and they were just like well we just need you to take a breathalyzer and my friends were like come on man take a breathalyzer I'm like no I am not doing that so they fucking put me in ankle shackles hmm. shackled me in the ankles 
And then a chain went up from there to my waist. They put a belt around me. Then... Like in public? In public. This Uh was in public in this little square. So then they put the belt around me. Uh Then they put me in handcuffs. They connected my handcuffs to the belt. So at this point, I'm like fucking Tim Robbins or something in Shawshank. I feel like I've committed a crime and killed 7,000 infants at this point for just being, you know, sauced up from somebody putting their hands on me. They took the term detained a little too far. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then they took me to jail and I was wearing these dope ass shoes and they knew it too. So they took those away. They're like, yeah, take off your shoes. And then, man, it was it was You never terrible. saw the shoes again? Well, they gave them back to me. Oh, okay. They gave them back to me, but I was just Free like- charged for disorderly conduct? Nah, man. At the end of the day, they were just treating me like shit. They just um, took you to the drunk tank? I, I wouldn't even go in the drunk tank. I sobered up and- the, the cop, this was a cooler cop. He was like, man, you need to go in the drunk tank. And I was like, I was like, man, I don't want to go in there. And he was like, why? And I just looked at him eye to eye like a man. I was like, dude, would you want to go in there? <laughs> and there's this one guy in there. After we got released the next day, it was the same guy. He's like, oh, yeah, man, I got arrested for drunk driving. I'm going to fucking smoke the fattest blunt when I get back to my car, man. I'm just like, Jesus, have you learned nothing? <laughs> So some people don't. <laughs> oh no, man! But they they like slammed me against the wall when they were cuffing me and stuff, and I didn't deserve that. Is that SJPD? It was San Jose Police, man. And they're I understand they got a hard job. I'm I'm glad. I'd hate to know how they treated me if I was black, because mm. man, I had a bad view of the police at that point. Because I was just I had walked to the bar. I wasn't driving. I was being a responsible citizen. Somebody put their hands on me, physically assaulted me. Was it a bouncer? It was a bouncer, yeah. So that's how they got away with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it just changed my view on stuff. I remember being in jail and this one dude was like, uh, he's just kind of a, an English major prick type of guy. He was just like, oh man, when I get out of here, I'm going to write about this. And he was just like yelling and complaining. Yeah. And at one point I went, dude, shut the fuck up. And then he did. <laughs> He's like, I'm just saying what I'm going to write. I'm like, I'm a writer too. Shut the fuck up. It's not that time. But it was crazy, man. Like, when how, you... just mm-hmm. how they treat you like an animal. Like, oh, the prison mm-hmm. system in general made me go into a commentary about that. Because the I... The prison system is way fucked up. It's fucked, man. It, it, it needs reform in all levels, in my opinion. It's it's basically just a way to make money. It's a way for well. There's a reason why the prison uh, l- lobby is one of the biggest ones in the country. I mean, like, no people know about that. Is is the the prison system has the biggest lobbyist in in our government? And because there's a lot of money to be made there, right? You know, like um, somebody's black and they live in Alabama and they like smoking weed, which obviously chills you out i haven't seen anybody smoke weed and then just be like i'm gonna fucking rob this liquor store (laughs) they'll be too high to do that but yeah you you have an ounce of weed and then they throw you in jail it's just it's ridiculous we're we're living in an old way of thinking an old model but there's just money money tied up it's 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 going back to growth did you just like in your younger years you thought of things in a very archaic way yeah, that society's the same way. We're 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 small cells in a bigger body, mm-hmm. in my opinion. <clears throat> so, and you got to understand the big picture. My my dad, going back to him, 
when, when I was a kid, he always said, money talks and bullshit walks. And really, if you just follow the dollar with anything, you, you kind of understand life. Or not life, but just normal culture that we live in. I mm-hmm. think it's a little more difficult to understand life, life experiences, stuff like that. But you got to go through them to learn. Exactly. You got to fucking go through that heartbreak. You got to go fucking through the fucking storm to appreciate the sunlight at the other side of the storm. Exactly. Well, I'm so proud of myself for even saying that right yeah, now. Yeah, that was beautiful. I should, that was beautiful. I should write that on a book or something. <laughs> but uh, let's go a bit in a different direction. Yeah. You mentioned that you, you write. When did you start writing? Oh, gosh. Um, I started writing really in college when I was an undergrad. That's when I started writing. Um, after I graduated college, I started writing screenplays. Um, hadn't read any books, no formal training, anything like that. I would just sit down and just like Hemingway, or actually, excuse me, Hunter S. Thompson said that he would put an Ernest Hemingway book in front of him and just copy it word for word just to know what it felt like to mm. write words so beautiful. That's what I did with The Godfather. I, I would learn screenplay format that I did in Word, which is a bad idea. I just started, I modeled that. And then I started writing my own stuff, and then um, I read books, and then now I, I write nearly every day mm. because I read Stephen Pressfield's book, The The War of Art. And he says, if you want to be a professional, you have to do it every single day, and he is right. Holy shit, I have that. I have that book. Good. Yeah, uh, everybody everybody uh, should have a, that a book. A friend of, of mine who listens to this podcast gave me that book, and I'm mm-hmm. sure he's going to be so happy when he hears this yes because that is actually a very good book mm-hmm. and 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 you touch on two things that i find very important in all writers whether you're a screenwriter poet even fucking musician even a yeah. comedian is that you got to keep on writing and reading exactly those two go two to two you can't have one way or the other in my opinion you're exactly Cause, right because it's like uh it's it's like the the upper day like when you're working out upper body mm-hmm. the other one's working out the lower body yep because either either there'll be a point where the upper body where blah blah blah, there's going to be a point where the upper body will carry you, and there'll be other points where the lower body muscles will carry you. Yeah, exactly. But that that's awesome, dude. Now uh, go back on your family. Yeah. Uh, you touched upon that. You know, you, your your father got married. She's not your mom. So was your mom completely out of the picture? Oh no, my mom's always been in the picture. It's um, my mom and dad had me. And that's always been my family. But the only, what I was saying before is that my dad was married. He had a previous marriage. Ah, okay. Yeah. And did your mom or dad do, do anything artistic on the side? My mother, um, she was a communications major and a journalist. She wrote for racehorse magazines, things like that. So, wow. So that's I consider that an art. She's definitely a writer, and I got a lot of inspiration from her. My dad is a farmer. He um, made made a lot of uh, made a lot of money farming, like tobacco, actually. And I always wondered why he didn't go on to college, but that's why. It's like if you've got a good job, why do you need to go to go to college? But he was a good basketball player and got a basketball scholarship to college, to the point where somebody said, "Hey, you know, you're you're so good." That you just have to show up to class, we'll we'll get you the grade so that you can play basketball. Wow! Like, like that's the kind. So that's where he was coming from with education. 
which is really no education at all. And then my mother is oh, it's the writer. One, it's one of the. It is an education where sense like he learned from practical, uh, from doing stuff with his yeah. hands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he he had a he. Um, John Dewey is a, a famous educational writer that has influenced me, and he says there's two types of education: formal, which is like college and stuff, and then informal, which is street knowledge. And my dad had that he you know knew how much to pay workers to help him he knew he had to measure poundage how many pounds of tobacco we got how much we could sell it for it's a lot of stuff like that um so yeah i i I don't know i was rambling there (laughs) that's fine and it seems like your mom got the biggest influence because she's a writer for for racehorses yeah yeah she was a writer for a uh some racehorse journals for mm-hmm. a while. Okay. And do you have any siblings? Um, no. No, I'm an only child, but, you know, Catholic family, lots of cousins. People say to me, they're like, you don't act like an only child, which my girlfriend will debate. She's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where she's coming from. But, yeah, I got a half-sister that's from my dad's previous marriage, and uh, me and her are really cool. So she's awesome. And for the most part, are they supportive? Of, of of you doing stand up, of you doing film, of you doing Oh yeah, definitely. Um I'd say the hardest thing for me is being away from my mom and dad cuz I've got a very close relationship with them. If I could be in Kentucky, I'd love to be there, but I mean, this is just where the fire is. You know, this is where the fire is to cook my meal. I want to I want to be in movies, I want to write, direct, be a stand-up comedian. The West Coast is where you got to be. Um, that's starting to change a little bit though. To what? Um, well with the internet, it's just becoming a, um, a smaller world. There's YouTube. You can become a famous YouTube star. You can put your content up on YouTube. You can monetize. You can just keep creating content. Um, the world is changing. You know, my goal of being a writer for Conan O'Brien now could be being a writer for, a person that has 180,000 YouTube subscribers. Somebody that's making money that way. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Even with filmmaking, man. Like, Kickstarters. Yeah. Like, before, I would have to pitch my idea to an agent. I would have to write it. Then they'd have to cast somebody. Then I'd have to go through this, this studio system. And then God knows what else. But now I could just be like, hey, I've got this dope idea. This is how much money it's going to cost, and I'm going to throw it out to people on the internet. I'm going to say, okay, I called WMA, and Justin Timberlake would take fifty grand <laughs> for this for this role, mm-hmm. and I'm going to raise money for it. But I mean, have you ever thought about that as a screenwriter, like writing a screenplay and saying, all right, Bill Burr is going to play this part, The Rock is going to play this part, and then Robert De Niro is going to play this part, and I'm going to reach out to them. And see if they're interested in the artistic project. You touched on two things there. Uh, to write and have those people in mind for yeah. the roles, it's it's as film. It's it's if it helps you write, great. But you know the the reality is is like you don't have that choice most of the time, especially if you're a nobody. I mean, unless you're you know even the biggest you know screenwriters out out there like a Sorkin or yeah or M- Mamet or. 
even then don't have much of a choice when it comes to casting but you right. can and uh if you're a writer director that's big and, and, and studios can trust like quentin tarantino then most likely yes uh but where that plays a, a, a bigger benefit for you would be in TV writing, television mm-hmm. writing, because that's t- a different breed than film. And in TV writing, studios prefer you to write material that that that's geared towards a certain actor. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Like you know, if if and and that's how and that's why it's hard to get into TV writing is because first you have to write a pilot or you have to write an episode of an already show. So you, you, you already have to know how the show works. You need to know right. how an actor works. You need to know, you know, and, and and so that helps a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah. And for me, I usually don't think of that. Uh, the way I look writing characters is I pull these people out of my own life. Yeah. N- not to sound cliche, but it's more like, you know, I mean, I, you know, there'll be times where I'm like, heck, I could totally see this big actor in this role. But for, for the most part, I'm a big proponent of like, hey, you know, it doesn't matter who plays a role as long as they hit these key points of this character. Mm-hmm. And that's just me personally. Yeah. Because I, I, know, I see what you're saying. I know, I know some screenwriters who are like, who are like all right, I, I, like, you know, especially in, in, in the studio system, here's a Adam Sandler movie. And, I, and I'm writing this movie geared towards Adam Sandler and his character. And, 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 there's no one way, you know. Each each sort of writing screenplays has its benefits, right? As you know. Yeah, um, I used to kind of be in that old model type of thinking. I mean, now that there's not that I'm calling your way like bad or anything. What, what makes but, it old model? Um, just in the sense that it's it's the existing model that's around right now. You know, like if. Because if you ask me, it's the other way around. That way of thinking, it's, it's older. Because back in Chaplin times, people would write, uh, true. like, hey, this is a, a Chaplin movie. Or even back in the 50s or, or 60s with, with, with uh, Cary Grant, mm-hmm. studio systems preferred to have a screenplay where the writer wrote it intentionally for, the, for that actor. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because it's, I mean, now that they do it still, it's like, because they know that this actor will bring people will bring asses to the seats. Yeah. But I, I guess what I'm saying is a lot of people won't think in those terms these days. Like, for example, if I came up with an, a, an amazing idea for Leonardo DiCaprio, Louis C.K., and Sandra Bullock, then with the internet now, I could I could call each one of their agents and say how much is she charging for a movie this and that and then I could raise the money myself through Kickstarter and say okay each one of these three actors agreed to this amount of money if I raise this amount of money they'll do the movie and you know you got your director this and that lined up and you, you could like in theory do it because of the internet I think that's great yeah it's just I guess it's just um, I used to be stuck in that debate of living in LA and I I was mad at myself for a long time that I didn't meet my goals because I wasn't in LA but I realized that I can do the things that I want to do because of the internet to quote the Childish Gambino album (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean LA is definitely 
the place to be when it comes to entertainment. Mm-hmm. Everybody over there wants to be something in entertainment. However, because me, I had that big debate. Getting out of community mm-hmm. college, I had where, where should I go to university? Should I go to LA? And I had this constant pressure of me. It's like, what kind of fucking filmmaker am I if I'm not even fucking in LA? You know, I had this pressure in me. And I came to the conclusion, it's like, hey, just, just like we talked, like, hey, you gotta know yourself as a person, you gotta know yourself as a writer, as a filmmaker as well. Yeah. So through that, I was like, you know what? I know nobody in LA. Uh, I don't know LA in general. What I do know is San Jose. I, this is where I'm born and raised, and a lot of my stories are based on my experiences here. Yeah, it's not, you know, has, the opportunities are not as big as there, but there is there there is something there. There are schools, universities, yeah. and there, are, there there is an art community. And, and when I made that realization, I was like, you know what, I should... I, in the end, I did not go to LA. Whether it was bad or good, I don't know. Only time will tell. But for me, now, it was like, it's... it's, it's, it's it, it's a path you choose that there's no wrong answer. Because right. in LA, the reality about LA, and th- I heard this from people who've, who've gone there and I heard it from an instructor, is you need to come up with a 10-year plan. Yeah. When Let's say a group of people go to LA for film. Yeah. Within the first three months, 50% of them will come back. Yeah. Within the, within the first year another good percent will come back and pretty much the 10 that we'll just put it to, to the 10 years where, where it's like where you're most likely gonna get noticed or you're most likely gonna get a big break out of the people that left to go there like most of them about 95 percent of them would already return to their places so to wherever they came is from. this just the bay area or their respective anywhere, places anywhere yeah. in the U- in, in, in the u.s anywhere not just here so, it's 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 a gamble. Yeah. But if again, if you're confident in your shit and if you're confident in your networking skills, fuck it, go do it. Me at the time, I was not confident. Now, I am. I still don't want to make the move over there yet because I, I still want to build a couple things here to really establish myself. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, there's people, you know, people go at different uh, rates. There's, I know people who are great filmmakers already at, at fucking 18. You know, I, I know people who, 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 I see people grow to become great filmmakers, you know, as the years pass by. So this pre, this notion of, of rushing to it, this notion of, 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 of just, you know, hit the ground, the floor running. Mm-hmm. I'm not too privy on it no more. It's like. See, that's that's my biggest problem, too, is I was impatient. And I was just like, I want it all, and I want it right now. And I'm going to be pissed if I don't get it all right now. You're living in the now. Yeah. <laughs> According to your therapist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, for you, you're in the Bay Area. Well, we're both in the Bay Area. Yeah. But why I made the move from Kentucky is because I couldn't get like-minded people around me. See, that's, like a, very, here, that's a very important factor, too. Is be surrounding yourself with people, just just like we talk about relationship with someone who's like working their own shit. Yeah, you need to be around people who are working on their shit, and that shit is contagious. When you see someone working their asses off, you'll want to work your ass off too. It's like the morale gets built. 
Exactly. And I think it's another factor people, uh, especially young people getting involved, is like, make sure you surround yourself with people who are better than you, people who are working hard. Absolutely. Because you learned a lot. I learned a lot. That's how you get to somewhere. You surround yourself by people that are smarter than you, and then you rise to that level. I mean, if you're, I don't know, like going to the gym, for example, this guy that I work with, he's jacked. He's got huge arms. He's ripped. He's in phenomenal shape. Back in the day, I would be jealous of him. I would be like, screw that guy. He's more talented than me. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to eat. Screw that guy. But I shifted my mindset. I was like, I saw him and I gave him a compliment. I was like, dude, man, like how much do you bench press? Like you're jacked. Like what is your workout regimen? And he's like, man, I just work out every day. He's like, come to the gym with me every day for an hour during lunch. We'll go during lunch. I'm like, okay, cool. And I learned from him. And that was just because I was able to pay him a compliment. And I, I can kind of attribute that toward my screenwriting too. I'm, I'm focused on comedy right now, but I wouldn't write with a partner back in the day for, for screenplays. I'd be like, no, that's my idea. And, and I don't want them cutting in on half of my money when I sell it for millions or whatever. But now I would totally collaborate. That's how the best projects are made. Mm-hmm. Like um, Dave Chappelle and this other guy, I can't think of his name. Um, I know who you're talking Neil about. Neil Brennan. Yes. Those those two wrote uh, Half Baked together. Yeah. And then Neil Brennan, he's got a great podcast, and he's a comedian now, and he's a co-creator for Chappelle's show, and yeah. most, most people don't even know that. Well, he also those... helped Chappelle with his sets. Yeah. Yeah, with his yeah. stand-up sets. But that that's collaboration, and I have to remind myself that that's why I came out here, is to meet like-minded people that work your ass off. Like yourself. I mean, when I met you and we were talking about our goals and stuff, I'm like, yes, this guy knows what's up. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> this guy is as delusional as I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, but you, it takes a lot of, of courage to stick to that, to say, uh-huh. you know, I want to be a director, and, and you do want to be a director, right? Or just a screenwriter. See, that's a good Go question. Go either way. At the very core, I want to be a writer. However... I'm very much geared in film, yeah. And people, because a lot of people get confused, because I'm in comedy, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in music writing. I'm, I'm, I, I like to write play. I like to write stories. I like to write poems. For me, they're just veins of the core of writing. Yeah, see what I'm saying? For me, it, it's, it, for me, it's my practice. So when I get into film writing or when I get into writing stories, I pull the skills I develop from those to that. And I was never like this before. I, I had to grow into it. Like before, I was like, just film, just film, just film. And and I realized later, no, I need more life experience. Because huh, you'll, yeah. you'll run out of ideas. You'll run out of shit. And you'll be like, fuck, what do I do? And one of the ways to not only just re-inspire yourself, but to gain more more ideas, is to go out there and, and do something different. Go out there yeah. and, and venture out and get life experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's why people, comedians specifically in their 40s, are killing it right now. Why Louis C.K.'s at the top of the yeah. game, why Bill Burr's yeah. at the top of the game, Joe Rogan, um, all those guys. They're yeah. in their 40s, they have life experience. Yeah, and I get some flack. Like, you know, people are like, especially the people who are purists, mm-hmm. of like, people who strictly stick with film, who strictly stick with comedy, strictly stick with poetry. They, they don't really take me seriously. Because, oh, you're just everywhere, you're just, you know. 
but it's I, like, I get that criticism too, man. Right? Yeah. But but it's like, I'm not playing the game you're playing. Right. There are different paths to the exactly. same goal. And it's just, and going back to the guy with, with that workout, mm-hmm. he wasn't always like that. He's had to start from someplace. No, man. He actually talked about how he was a skinny kid that got bullied and spit on. Exactly. You know? So, like, there's that notion of, oh, they're good. They must have always been good. Mm -mm. These fuckers failed, and you should not be afraid of failing. Exactly. Definitely cannot be afraid of failing. Like, we talk about crowdfunding. Mm Mm-hmm. I did my first Kickstarter ever recently. Did not make it. Oh, man. But but after I did not make it. You learned a lot. I learned, but I was okay. In a sense that the fact that people still donated, I mean, I made more than half, but since it's Kickstarter, I didn't get, you know, the entire, you know, a portion. But I was like, you know, enough people believed in my idea to invest some money. Mm-hmm. So I owe it to them and to myself to get this done still somehow. Might, might not be through crowdfunding, but it still needs to get done. Sorry. And I understand. And it, 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 it so it's like, a failure is never bad when it's you gain something from it. If that makes sense, you learn. You For get example, an experience. you know, and, and this does not just come on a creative level. This I feel this comes on a very core emotional level. Mm-hmm. I went through a breakup. Like I wasn't married, but fuck, I I went to great lengths to keep it together. Right. I went to great lengths to go where she went. You know, because she came from a rich family. Her dad took her out. Anyway, long story. But but the point of is, I went to great lengths to keep it that. I look up back at it now. I was like, I'm so stupid. You know, I was like, I, I, I was I, I was so naive at the time. But I would not get to where I am if that did not happen. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I, I there's, there's this recent death yeah. that I've witnessed. Yeah. I'm working more than ever. Because I now realized, not not this whole cliche that life is short, but then I more than realized, like, hey, I don't, like, what's the best way to convey this this idea? It's more, just say it. I'm wasting time. <laughs> Pretty much, I feel like I'm wasting too much time yeah. in procrastinating. I'm wasting too much time having f- uh, fun where that time I could have spent of working my shit. Mm-hmm. I did my first improv show on Wednesday. Yes. Everybody else went to celebrate at the bar. After? Or After. Before? After, okay. I didn't. I went home and I just started exercising and I started writing. Because for me, it's not where I want to be yet. I mean, it's a stepping stone, but that's not the ultimate goal. And if... This, if what I witnessed did not happen, I'm also like it would have been out there, you know, partying it up, which is nothing bad. Just for me, it's more, um, what's the word? S- s- I'm more selective about those moments now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you know, this this life, it's, 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 it's all fun, but it, it can, it's, it's, oh God, I'm trying to, best way to formulate it. Or, <laughs> Well, you just feel like you're not where you want to be, so you got to work to get there. You got to work harder to get there, right? Right. Because the person I saw that died committed suicide. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I figured... Have you told this story on the podcast? No, this is the first kind of where I went this deep, but the point I'm trying... I'm trying to convey a point to you, though. Right, right, right. And to the listeners who are listening, is that 
they were they were not at a place they wanted to be obviously to the point where they had to jump now i took that in after you know therapy i was like i do not want to be in that place right so i need to start you know stop bullshitting around and get to it and commit to it which just means or hey if 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 you want to do stand up if you want you know, all this other stuff take time seriously and that's what I'm doing now so you felt like you were wasting a lot of time before like you weren't working hard enough yeah it's especially something that I love which is writing which is filmmaking which is stand up which is music which is poetry which is conversations like this in the podcast yeah, yeah. So my work ethic has been altered by that. and th- But that goes back to what I'm tra- trying to convey here. Is like, as a person, you need to go through some hardship. Hardship exactly. hardship breeds creativity, in my opinion. A butterfly becomes a butterfly by being in a cocoon and struggling to get out. Yeah. A caterpillar has got to work. And, and, and that's half the battle. The other battle is accepting it. The other battle is saying, hey... You know, remember like like our initial notions of therapists. Yeah. See, that was half the battle. It's going to a therapist. The other half is letting the therapist in. And for me, that was life. Whereas, like, I need to accept that I'm not, I'm not happy where I am now. Mm-hmm. Instead of being mad of it, instead of being mad at that, I was Work like, Carter. It's like, all right. So, what steps can I take that that, that takes me an inch closer? A yard closer, a mile closer, to where I want to be. Instead of just complaining about it, just fucking do it. And I've been very hard on myself. Lately. I was like, you know, I was like, Jorge, fucking do it. Don't be, uh, you know, an idiot or or don't be lazy. And that just pushed me. Ever since then, I, I'm exercising more. I'm eating a lot healthier, and and my my views on life, uh, less bullshittier. I guess lack of mm-hmm. a better word. But do you understand where I'm coming from? I understand exactly where you're coming from. I'm I'm in the same boat, um, just not taking time seriously enough. Um, yeah. Did you how how did your set go at the improv? Went great. I I I I, I um I was nervous as fuck, and what helped me was the minute I walked out, uh, my closest friend was in the front. So when I saw her, that super front row, like the that very guy, front super row. front row, her and her boyfriend, who's a real cool guy, and the minute I saw them, that it, helps. It helped. I was like, okay, it's like performing in front of my my, you know, because that's the only um, people you can see is in that front row, pretty much. Right, and I just felt comfortable. But but then again, I, I've already also in my experience, I've I've been in plays where I've I've performed in front of hundreds. Oh, that, I, I, that I, would help. I, I've been I I performed stand up at the university in front of like five hundred people. I've been in situations where I've been large groups, so it wasn't that bad already. See, I, I haven't done that before. I haven't done a theater audience of 500 before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did when I was at the improv, but still, like, it's so dark in there. 30 people could look like 400 people. Yeah. So that that was something for me to overcome. Right. And for yeah. me, I, I already had the shortcut in that in that perspective. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you already had that experience because uh, right. you worked hard. Well, be- <laughs> because you know, I, I I was willing to venture into things I wasn't familiar with. In yeah. that case, was theater. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
and, and that's what I'm saying is is you got to go out there and experience just different stuff in life and they will help those experiences will help you when you're in a rut or where you're in a, a place of pressure yeah I'm just I rambling dude I, I think I, I'm proud of you you've I remember that's, when you, we first met a while ago yeah. you were like you were like dude man yeah I saw you at the improv that's awesome that you've done that and I was just like, yeah, thanks, man. I, I could tell you wanted to do the improv, too. And it just made me think of when I wanted to do the San Jose improv. Like, I wanted that more than anything. Yeah. And then when I finally got it, it's just so sweet yeah. to get there. And I'm proud of you. I'm proud oh, that you, you got to that point where you, you, you wanted to do it. You've wanted to for a while. And then you yeah. got there, dude. Yeah. Like, it's, it's back at the drawing board. But you got to celebrate those. You've got to celebrate those victories. Because, oh, I, I mean, obviously... You I put in I, the work to I, get there. I celebrated today. I went to the farmer's market, got fresh ingredients, made myself some great food. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So for me, that I'm celebrating something there. I, yeah. yeah. And I mean, celebrating in different ways because, like, for me, once I've... Because I, for me, I, I, I was doing too much stuff. Mm. I decided to drop the screenwriting for a while because I need to focus more on my comedy and I'm also trying to do a web series along with it. And I didn't I, I didn't want to do the Kickstarter because I knew that I wasn't ready yet. Or perhaps I wasn't ready to fail yet. But in other words, I wanted to have all my shit together for that Kickstarter. And um, I just realized that that needs to be my focus. My, my uh, lady has helped me with that. She's like, you need to just write your goals on a wall and just look at it every day. And that's what I did. I wrote the name of my web series backstage, Bay Area Comedy Stage. I wrote it on this poster board in my living room. I look at it every day. And whenever I lose focus, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. And at first, it started out in the form of being fictional. And I'm like, oh, well. And then I was like, that's nah, not working. And then I said, oh, it needs to be more reality-based because there's all these awesome Bay Area comedians here. Why am I writing a fiction when I could be doing reality about real people's lives, real people's struggles? So I was like, I need to make it more fiction-based. So then I got to doing like, yeah, it needs to be good audio, multi-cam for video, HD, of course. And then, of course, you know, and then I'm editing and doing all that stuff too because I don't want to pay an editor. Yeah. But... <laughs> But man, it's hard. It's like, I think of Louis C.K., who was at the top of the comedy game. He was always into filmmaking and doing comedy. Mm -hmm. And like, and instead of just climbing up a ladder that's just, you know, one path of like up, 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 he was doing comedy and filmmaking. So it's like up, side, up, side, up, side. He was going up two ladders, doing each one, building his skills. So it took him slower. It took him a slower amount of time to get up to the top of the ladder. Yeah. But when he did, he's got this deal with FX where he's like, yeah, here's my idea for the show. I'm going to edit it on my 11-inch um, MacBook Pro, and it's, it's going to be how I see it. And then he's just said that he killed it. And he could do that because he had that vision from all that practice of filmmaking. Yeah. A lot of comedians, you know, I think I talked to, with Iris Benson on this podcast already. Mm, where, she's amazing. Yeah, she is. She's hilarious. Yeah. And where it was this notion of comedians, if they want to be serious, they need to take uh, filmmaking, not filmmaking, but they, got, they, get to, they got to know the game. Right. And not just the comedy stand-up game. 
I mean, if you want to be in the comedy clubs, then do what you're doing is fine. But if you want to be, like you said, you want to be in movies as a comedian. You And it seems like you're already doing this. And I think it's awesome that you're already doing this where you're getting involved with the filmmaking game. Yeah. You're getting involved in the in the film writing game. So already you already have an advantage than most other comedians who are trying to get into it as well. Yeah, I mean it's important to know the game. If you're if you're a comedian and you've never heard of William Morris, you've got to be down with the business of it. Because yeah. I mean we want to be we most comedians I think in the Bay Area they want to do it full time. Well, you have to understand how the business creates income to pay you. Exactly. And that's yeah. that that's what you got to do to do that. Yeah. And I mean I I understand that game and I my lady met this girl on an airplane flight her name's Karshina Jefferson and she writes horror movies and I worked with her on her set for her short film it's like um, it's called uh, Watch Me and then it's some other other things there we shot it in Burbank and I worked with her videographers her sound guy her, her makeup artist and her actors and things and I just got this great experience from it I just helped you know I did the clapboard thing I learned a lot but now I've, I've talked to her. I'm like, you know, I'm focused on this comedy game. You know, what are your next projects? She's like, yeah, I'm thinking about writing this screenplay about this. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I think this location would be great. And she's like, oh, my God, it totally. And we're just clicking together. And so now I'm just at the point where I'm like, look, I know how screenplays work, you know, act one, two and three, blah, blah, blah. But I said, I'm focused on this comedy game. I got to get my set. I got to get a solid 20 minutes to tour on. And I, I will write punch up. Like, I will punch up your screenplay. And, and she's down with that. And we're working together. And it's just a way of slowly building. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a beautiful thing. But you got to keep moving. That's what keep you're doing. Keep moving. Because you're moving. Even if you feel like shit's not going right, you got to keep fucking moving. I learned that in football, man. I worked to be a running back. That's where I learned it too. In football, I, yeah, I was, I, nice. I was a, I was a, a what position? A lineman, defensive nice. lineman. But but that keep sport, your feet moving. Yeah, keep that, your that feet sports moving. ethic of of, mm -hmm. of just because someone's bigger than you does not mean you can't lay their asses to the ground. You get lower than them. You run faster than them. You be yeah. quicker than them. You move your feet faster. You do whatever you can. So pretty much, that's how I think best way to approach life. Is, yeah. Exactly. Well, at least this kind of life. I, mean, I don't think I don't think all lives are are, are the same. But in this mm -hmm. in this one, you really got to be competitive. And I'm not saying to other people, but to yourself. Exactly. Hold yourself to you know measure measure yourself to your own standards. I used to compare myself for a long time, um, and it, and it wasn't a fair comparison. I, I used to be obsessed with having six pack abs. Did you? And I'd look, yeah, I mean, yeah. I still want them. I'm not going to lie. All right. And like, I've, you know, I got down to having a flat stomach before, but I could never do it. But I mean, it comes to diet, this and that. But I used to be jealous of skinny guys. I'd be like, man, screw them. They get abs. And they, they didn't even have to work for them. They were just born with them. But the reality of the situation is I have a different body frame. Cultural norms dictate like, oh yeah, Channing Tatum's in Magic Mike. He's got abs. He is the male definition of sexy. Like that's a cultural thing. But like, I have a different body type. You know, I should celebrate my body type because just like women, men have struggle with body image, this and that. But you got to be comfortable with that. 
I mean, not every woman looks the same. They have the, they don't have the same build, but I believe a lot of women are beautiful mm-hmm. and that, you know, you, you don't have to fit one certain format. It's There's a bunch of different ones. And for me, a bigger guy to compare myself to a skinny dude, it's, it's just like, I'm not going to be that. I'm never going to be a skinny dude. I'm just going to be a bulky guy. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's okay. Yeah. So... Now, I'm changing direction to comedy. Yes. So what's your process in writing your comedy set? Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you asked that because I I'm, I do have a process and I'm pretty meticulous about it. I'll write every morning no matter what. And then I will perform and I'll see what sticks, blah, blah, blah. But then I'll I'll I've decided to try and organize all my material into categories, sex, Race, um, di- all the different ones, drugs. <laughs> it's mostly just sex and race and then dating. So I'll try and organize them in categories. And then you tell the jokes that work and to big crowds. You're like, all right, I'm going to hit them with my dating jokes first, then my racial humor, and then this. And then that way it's it's rehearsed spontaneity. Your audience looks and they're like, oh, yeah, he's talking about dating Oh, but but that thing brought him into race, so it looks like it's built. So now, kind of how I'm trying to do it is I'm trying to, I've got a solid 10 minutes, and I'm trying to get up to 20, but I'm building in chunks of five, like five minutes. So I got 10 minutes. So what I'm doing is I'm taking my five different aspects, and I'm tacking on to them. I'm saying, oh, okay, you know, this, this, this joke here worked really well. I'm going to add some more stuff on top of it. So then that pops me up to 12. I add on to, to, to that category with more jokes. That pops me up to 12. If I do that with another joke, that pops me up to 14, 16, 18, 20. So I try and build that way. Even though I, I some days I'll just write. Some days I'll write about like computers, technology, this and that, texting, Facebook. But other days I'll write about something else. So it's made me realize that it's important to categorize those things and come back to them. I watched a George Carlin interview, and George Carlin said, you know, like, it doesn't help you if you don't put your jokes into files, if you file them away. Because if you're not organized, you're not going to find them. So in the future, I can just pull from the files and be like, all right, what do I got here? It's a slow day. I've got writer's block. Uh Uh-uh. You pull one of those files up, it's like, I'm going to pull the technology file up. Oh shit, wouldn't it be funny if I, and then you figure something out. So you never have writer's block. So I'm working on organizing all my shit, even the stuff I don't use. And then you said reading and writing earlier, reading and writing go hand in hand. I've learned to start writing for the stage, for performance. So that's what I'm really struggling with right now, is doing that. All right, we hit that point of the podcast. We're near the end. Uh, tell us about uh, where can people find your stuff, and is there any upcoming stuff that we should know about? Um, yes. So I've got a big show coming up. It's it's August twenty first at JJ's Blues. It's the first show I'm producing. Kabir Singh is headlining. Um, he's a writer for Family Guy. He won San Francisco International Comedy Festival. He's touring. He's been on Comedy Central. Um, you know, he's done all the rounds. Lucky to have him as a headliner. 
You can buy tickets for that at my website, GilkyWayGalaxy.com. And go to that if you're in the Bay Area. If you click on the podcast link there, it'll take you to our iTunes page for my podcast. It's called In the Galaxy Podcast. We do music reviews, album reviews, things like that. Um, I, li- I listen to your podcast. It's fascinating. Oh, thanks. Because uh, I don't think I could do that. I don't reviewing albums. I, I, but you guys have great uh, conversations with other comedians and other artists, musicians. Yeah, yeah. We'll have guests on and stuff like that. Like we had Esther Wajitsky on there, who's uh-huh. an education person. Her daughter's the CEO of YouTube. She was James Franco's high school teacher. Yeah. Um, just fantastic. We had Jerry Heller on. Who, when did you start the podcast? We started it, um, I believe in 20, well, a year ago, about a year ago or so. We're coming up on our 100th episode. But yeah, we've just been doing that weekly and just constantly building and working. And my buddy Jay, he knows a lot about music and we just talk about it a lot. And yeah, we've got an amazing Tumblr page too, in the galaxypodcast.tumblr.com. And I mess up the plugs a lot because there's so many. But, yeah, we're on Instagram, at In The Galaxy Podcast, too. So you can check us out there. Give us some love. And, and some other other places. Do you have a, a page people can go, refer to? Um, yeah, so I'm on, I'm on Instagram, at Michael Gilkison, G-I-L-K-I-S-O-N. I'm on Twitter, at Michael Gilkison, G-I-L-K-I-S-O-N. You can, where else can you find me? Instagram. Facebook? Facebook, yeah. Um, Michael Woodford Gelkison on Facebook. I'm kind of lacking on my fan page for comedy. The biggest thing is the August 31st show. 21st. 21st. Friday, August 21st. August 21st Um, at JJ Blues in San Jose, which is a great bar. I like that. I love the jazz scene there. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. You're using a jazz uh, venue for a stand-up comedy show. Yeah, man, it's it's a um, it's a in the galaxy sponsor in the galaxy podcast sponsored show with uh, Kabir Singh headlining. Um, I'll be on that show. Frankie Marcos will be on that show. Sam Marcu of Predictably Drunk will be on that show. That podcast um, will all be on it, and it's kind of a first show trial run, yeah. uh, just based on my my morals with the comedy scene because I'm charging ten dollars per ticket to get to this show and it's only four comedians three opening acts in a blues bar so man we'll see how it goes i mean maybe it's another failure but either way it's going to be one hell of a show what's going to happen it's going to happen what's going to happen man like no, either, it, it is going to happen it is for sure yeah. going to happen so, yeah yeah and you know we're going to kill it it's going to be one hour of comedy followed by live music my my buddy charles lyons who is he's, he tours the country him and this guy named mike b who they performed with a lot of people in the 70s and stuff just phenomenal musicians ten dollars for a one-hour comedy show that turns into a party with a live band afterward oh my gosh ending the night with pizza next door beautiful yeah, night th- that pizza place is the motherfucking bomb that pizza place is amazing I they, I heard that that guy he gets his dough straight from New York probably yeah it's great pizza I'm kind of I'm kind of ticked at him because he wouldn't let me leave flyers in his pizza place <laughs> he just kind of told me to fuck off but 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 the owner can you imagine how many times he heard it already before yeah being next to JJ Blues he's probably had like a bunch of people already ask him and 
Yeah, I can see that. I, I'm gonna make a joke. I'm gonna try and talk to him again, and I'm gonna say, "Look, man, like, I'm a comedian, and if you don't let me put these flyers here, then I'm just gonna make hella jokes about you." You're gonna blackmail them? <laughs> well, it's not blackmail. It's like I, I would talk shit about you if you don't let put these flyers. It, it's white mail. I would say, dude, this is what's up. I want to make a lot of jokes if you don't let me advertise, but no. I don't know. Whatever. Wait. To each their own. They make good pizza, so whatever. All right, Michael Gilkison, thank you for coming. I, I thank you, Jorge, it. for having me, man. You're a funny guy. I'm very oh, honored to be you. on your podcast. Oh, thank you. Great oh. things are in store. Oh, oh, thank. You. Don't worry about it. I, I mean, I'm just happy you're here. Yeah, it's a start. Heck for me. yeah, man. Thank you so much. All right, we're out. <laughs>